All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raph Giallo here, and as always, we are on RT.ie, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, that's where you're also going to find our Women's World Cup podcast with the latest episode released today, looking back at the quarterfinals and previewing the semis with Megan Campbell. And on this podcast, I'm joined today by David McMillan and Graham Gartland. Got lots to talk about, including uh, Derry City preparing for the second leg of their third qualifying tie in the Europa Conference League against FC Tobol, just uh, down uh, by a goal and having to play at Tala Stadium as well. Lots happening across uh, the other side of the Irish Sea as well. And of course, plenty of League of Ireland action. And what we're going to start on is Derry City in the Europa Conference League. So they were in Kazakhstan, long journey last Thursday, and uh, they lost 1-0 to FC Tobol in the Kostanay Central Stadium with Roman Asran Kulov scoring a what was a cracking goal in the 65th minute. But we're going to have the second leg live on RT2 and the RT player this Thursday kickoff at 7.45. And um, David, like looking at it, obviously we'll, we'll, we'll look ahead to the second leg uh, very shortly. But just in terms of what you saw of the first leg, the surface in terms of the pitch didn't look great. Um, I don't know what you made of it. Yeah, I thought, ironically, the, the bit I saw, Derry looked quite comfortable before the goal. Um, I was watching with a couple of lads, football guys, and it was kind of, you know, Derry look good here. You know, they could probably see this out and, and take a nil all home. And just as we spoke about that bang, left foot, crack and strike, as you said, right into the top corner. And to be honest, you can't really legislate for moments like that. So in terms of the rest of the game, I thought Derry finished it really strongly, created good opportunities and kind of went for it a little bit, which was brave of them. You know, they could have sat back and accepted a 1-0 defeat and, and thought that was a good result. But they really kind of had a bit of a go at the end of the game. And I think that'll... And particularly because they're in good form, obviously a good result yesterday, which I'm sure we'll speak about. But um, they go into the game on Thursday now with a good bit of confidence, I think. Um, league form is looking good. You know, they're in the right position in the table. And yeah, they'll have confidence from the last sort of 20 minutes of the game in, in Kazakhstan. And I think they'll be confident they can go through. But of course, you know, this Kazakh team has beaten, you know, Basel from Switzerland, who are, you know, were a top side, presumably are still very, very strong. So they have good pedigree, so it won't be easy. But um, I think, as I said, that Derry will be confident. Yeah, and actually they probably will be uh, counting the cost also. of uh, There should have probably been a red card for one of the FC Tobol players in the first half for a tackle on Adam O'Reilly. Looked two-footed and uh, looked a little bit nasty and the referee seemed to be standing about uh, two feet away from it. But um, anyway, it is a one-goal um, uh, deficit that, uh, that Derry City have going into the, the game at Tallis Stadium. And while I suppose it's a designated home game, Graham. It is still a little bit of a journey um down from Derry to to Tala um to host FC Tobol. But how do how do Derry approach this? Obviously, they do have to chase the game to an extent, but I guess they have to be clever about when they um when they look to when they look to push forward. Yeah, I think they approach it the same way they've been approaching most of the other games. Is they, they have a freedom in their attack that that they've been going for it in, in a lot of games where they've um they've had a lot of attacking players on the pitch. Uh, game changers in terms of the people that can score goals or nothing as well and that always gives you a chance in Europe when you have somebody that you, you have an outlet Duffy's been excellent you see him with his goal yesterday as well against Strata so I think the more attacking players you have on the pitch who are also willing to obviously go back and do a defensive role as well I think once you have game changers on the pitch you always have a chance in European games and I think that's what Higgins has done well this year in Europe is that He's made sure he has enough match winners on the pitch that can get them goal. We've seen that in the away leg. The last time to get them through, they played to, to ball. They had a lot of 
um, chances in the game, but they went for it. And I think when you're a goal down, like you've no other choice but to play on the front foot. And I think that's what the, what Derry have been good at probably in the last two months is that they've been taking the game to teams. And uh, you're hoping that they can do that in Talat. Like you said, it's, it's it just shows you where the league is sometimes when we get to these stages in Europe that every every event ends up there or and, and that's where we need to improve. But um, from Derry's point of view, you're hoping to get a good travelling crowd down and make sure that it even... <clears throat> make sure people can get behind them and go out and get a result for um to get them through to the next leg or the, into the group stage. I think if they get through from this, isn't it, Raf? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, they get to the playoff round and then um yeah. then potentially then to the to the group stage if they were to if they were to get through through that. But um, just keep momentum going for them, yeah. and that's a big thing for them at the minute. Yeah, in terms of the, you know, I mentioned the pitch uh, in Kazakhstan, David, but um, obviously there's always been question marks about the the synthetic surface um, up at the Brandywell um, as well. But of course, the the surface in Tala is very good, so probably that does play into Derry's hands in some ways, even if it's the disadvantage of you know playing you know further away from home than they would like. Yeah, I think Derry probably are one of the teams that has had better away form than than home form. I think that's something we've spoken about this year. Um, it was the same last year for them. I think the players they have, the technical ability of the likes of Patrick McElhenney, Will Patching, Michael Duffy, I think they probably enjoy playing on grass a lot more than they do AstroTurf. So, as I said, they've travelled well generally and they've got good technical ability. It's about whether they can get the crowd down and I'm sure um, there'll be big numbers down from Derry like there was for the cup final last year. So, And I'm sure people like myself, other League of Ireland people will want to be out at the game as well. So hopefully we get a, a good attendance for them and get behind them. And um, yeah, I don't think for the players it'll be a big issue to go and play in Tala to, to travel that distance. That they'll probably come down and stay the night before. I'm sure the club will look after them very, very well in that regard. Um, so it's just getting as many people down from Derry, supporting them as possible. And um, I know that the, the Derry fans will travel. Yeah, and of course they, you know, they they beat Roddy United three 0 yesterday, Graham, and didn't show signs of any, you know, any tiredness from a, what is a very very long journey all the way to uh, all the way from um, all the way from Kazakhstan and then back to uh, you know to play what is a tough uh, Drogheda team in um, you know at at the Brandywell and in terms of like building momentum and also the twin challenge of keeping themselves in the race for Europe and the title race as well, domestically, it was, uh, you know, it was good all round from a Derry City point of view. Yeah, it was, yeah. They're a tough nut to crack. Uh, they've had an excellent season. They're a tough team to play against. Um, they probably should have go, they probably should go one nil up with Foley's chance. Uh, but after that, then Derry had, had enough chance in the second half as well to, to, to make it more. I know they score late on with McGonagall and Duffy scoring the 80th minute, uh, in the 80 minutes, but, um, McEnough's goal is really good and again it's Duffy it's having them ball carriers in your in your team that can get you up the pitch collects on the halfway line he drives to the 18 cut back and McEnough comes along to the score but um, they have a lot of momentum they're getting a lot of players back as well that we probably thought they were going to be out a little bit longer um, Conley coming back Conley made a comment I read today that there's no excuses considering the, the travel that was put on for them by the owner so they, they're making sure that, look, we can't feel sorry for ourselves in terms of travelling. This is what you want. Successful teams, you have to play Thursday, Sunday sometimes throughout the year and you just have to go and get on with it. They've a, they've a tough game coming, obviously, in the in the next round, but then they have Pats in the FEI Cup the following week. Uh, but 
for Derry's point of view, winning at home and winning emphatically is 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 a big marker that they're laying down. If they win that game in hand, they go to in two points of, of challenging top spot Rovers. So it was a massive win for them because people are thinking coming off of Europe, uh, it might be a bit sort of Derry might be like you said feeling sorry for themselves, feeling a bit tired. But I thought they finished the game really strongly. Like like you said, they scored two goals in in the eighty third and the eighty seventh minute. Shows that they kept going to the end and were willing to kill the game off, uh, and I think they're in they're in a really good vein of form at the moment, and they're coming. And when you're in a team like that, you just roll into games. You probably won't be doing much in between it. Tactically, they might be doing a small bit of work and set pieces and stuff, but they're just rolling. And lads are coming in. I think McMullen's been a good signing for them from um, Dundee in Scotland. I think he's come in and made a bit of a difference because. He gives them that ability to carry the ball on the right-hand side as well since Graydon has gone. So he's made some shrewd signings and lads are sort of coming back to a bit of form that he had at this early part of the season. Yeah, and of course the reason they were playing on Sunday, of course, is because of the with with Europe, um, as long as they're involved in it, thurs, it has to be Thursday, Sunday. And it was something Shamrock Rovers had to go through um, a few weeks back. And it also meant that their recent fixture against Cork City in Tala, so, uh, which was last weekend, that it coincided with Manchester United coming over here for a friendly with Athletic Bilbao. And it was something Stephen Bradley wasn't happy about at all. And um, it meant the attendance at Tala Stadium was 3,419 against Cork last week and the lowest since a game against UCD last September. And then when you factor in also the, the average attendance at home for Shamrock Rovers is 5,800. So um, Bradley told Shamrock Rovers that I, I don't agree with them. And this is in regards to these friendlies where Premier League clubs um, come over. I don't think they should be allowed when there are domestic games on I don't understand our games get moved because of Europe and these friendlies are set in stone a few months out and logistically it's tough but as a rule going forward I don't think they should be allowed uh, a few weeks before that on the 29th of July as well Celtic and Wolves were uh, playing but it was a Saturday so not as logistically challenging I guess for the domestic clubs but um, I might get both of your thoughts on this in terms of you know Manchester United have a huge following here it's it's probably it always will have a knock-on effect if it's scheduled the same day as a League of Ireland game in Dublin and David what's your thoughts on you know those friendlies I mean as I said they have huge supporter bases here but you know, I guess primarily the the you know the priority should be the domestic clubs. Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. Um, hadn't seen Bradley's comments, but you know you can't really dis- disagree with them. If there's two thousand or more or more um, fans haven't been able to go to their game because of this, um, because of the Man United match, but. I don't have a monster issue with the game being put on in Dublin. I think, you know, you see these teams travel, America, Singapore, uh, Malaysia, you know, right across the world to, to to different countries to to play abroad, to play in competitions. I think there was a lot spoken about the team and United put out and, and how that could happen and how it wasn't sort of written within the, the contract of them coming over that certain number of players had to play, um, first team players. So I think that was the, the major disappointment. Um for fans here that would have gone to the game, but you know it's disappointing that Shamrock Rovers would lose that many fans because of the game. Uh, I think if that's the case, the FAI need to just schedule it properly, put it on a day that suits that isn't going to have uh, domestic fixtures, and that's not that hard to to do. You know, as you said, the, the Celtic game was put on a Saturday where there was no games on, so um, yeah, it's not a difficult thing to to organise, and I think the whole event kind of became a bit of a. A shambles and a bit of a, a talking point in general for just uh, kind of the disorganisation of it. So I think, yeah, certainly better planning could be done in both regards. One, that the game doesn't clash and two, that, you know, 
you do it right that, that when people go and spend a lot of money and, and expect to get something that that's what they get yeah and graham what's your thoughts on it obviously Stephen Bradley himself wasn't uh, wasn't too happy with it. Obviously, it's a logistical thing with being involved in Europe at the time that they were that they ended up playing on a Sunday. It might not have been as much of an issue if it was on it was on the Friday. Yeah, I I, I think I agree with David's point that the scheduling of it, you know, if they're going to say the FAO should know that there's going to be European games on uh, that week, and then there's going to be a knock-on effect that the League of Ireland teams are going to have to play Sunday, whether it's Rovers whether it was Pats, whether it was Derry, whether it was Dundalk, you should know that this is going to have an impact on Air League. And that's when the priority kicks in, that you, you look after the, the league that you're you're basically the governing body of. Uh, so to say, look, if going forward, you can only schedule games during this window of European fixtures on a Saturday. Um, I don't have an issue with them coming. They're a global brand, like every other brand that comes uh, whether it's Liverpool, Man United, Celtic, these are global brands that go worldwide and, and they have a big fan base here. And again, who who are we to deny a kid the chance to go to see Man United that wouldn't get to normally see them every weekend and wouldn't get to see them with the price of travel the way it is at the minute. So you don't want to deny a child the chance to see a team that he supports as a kid. And again, a lot of these kids are going to watch League of Ireland football now because the, the premiership is unattainable for them with travel and, and things like that at the moment. So it's a chance to go and see them. Um, so I've no issue with that. But like I said to you, if the scheduling is done right and it's allowed that, look, this doesn't have an effect on the on the game that you're the governing body of, but you're also enhancing, obviously, the finances for the FAI to allow us to build and, and maybe put more financial... Uh, Put, put more finances into the league here that have, that arose back in, then I've no issue with it. That if, if we're going to make money off this game, but then put it back into the grassroots or the or the football in this country, then no problem to do them. But make sure it doesn't take away from a gate off it, off another team uh, as a consequence of that. So that's what I, w- I would say. Like you know, but again, it's a double-edged sword. You know, you want kids interested in playing football. You want them going to watch Man United when they get a chance to do it. That's okay. I would have went to watch Liverpool and them games when we were younger as well when they came. So um, it's a case of just making sure that it doesn't have a knock-on effect going forward for the league. And and I think if they schedule it right the next time, then this won't happen. Yeah, I think from the Manchester United point of view, I think they were they had a friendly the day before, before and anything, which made yeah, which made it um made it a bit more difficult in terms of I suppose uh, putting it on maybe on a. That was a, I think he scheduled that in late, Raf, and that's why yeah. the, the problem was that. That that friendly on the Friday wasn't on the original schedule, and then when all the players played in that, then they were going, well, they're not going to play in the in the game in the Aviva, but that one wasn't originally penciled in when they had agreed to do it. So that's what the, the FAI were upset about, where we we never seen your Friday schedule for that friendly, and the knock on effect was that a lot of the players didn't play then in the Aviva on the Sunday. Yeah, and. Uh... This Friday, um, just passed though, uh, Shamrock Rovers were back, uh, in action. But uh, uh Malloy, um, a last minute, uh, a last minute header from Malloy uh, got shells uh, a point in a one all draw, uh, with uh, Marcus Poom having scored for Shamrock Rovers earlier, and then Cork City and UCD drew one all. Dundalk beats Sligo Rovers one nil, and then St Pat's and Bohemians drew nil all, which was the TV game, Graham, of course, that uh, you were at. But John Daly and Declan Levine were both speaking to Valerie Wheeler after the game. So let's listen to them first before we uh, we talk about Pats and Bowls. John, an intense battle out there in the second half and unfortunately you just have to share the points. Yeah, I think um, it was an entertaining game. I think nil-nils are 
know, you probably look at them and think they're generally quite dull, but I thought today's game was quite entertaining. Um, we've obviously hit the bar twice in the same passage of play. They've gone up the other end, hit the bar with a header as well. So I think over the piece, probably a fair result. Um, it's one of those games that you know we obviously pushed to try and win it. We threw on, I think we had three strikers or four attacking players, like really out and out attackers on the pitch there, going for it at the end. And um, you know, unfortunately, we couldn't find the winner. But at the same time, it's great to have another clean sheet. That's two in a row now for us, and I think um, that shows obviously the importance of having Joe Redden in that back line. Plenty of possessions, plenty of chance out there. You give it your all in the end. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out for you. Yeah, of course. As you said, it's uh, it's one of those games where on another day you may be putting those chances away. They'll obviously feel the same. They had chances also. So, um, you know, so defence is obviously on top today and we'll take it. It's a point on the board. Um, it keeps us, I think, we're in the same position as we are still four points behind. So nothing changes in that sense. And we put the league to bed now and focus on Derry next week. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you. And listen, we were, we were calm enough. It was a pulsating game, they say the least. Two good teams. Two, I said to you before the game, both teams will have a go. Uh, I thought we were immense for long periods and probably with a chance at the end off a bar, we probably should have won it. But I think um, delighted for the players because they've, they've put so much under the game. Very brave. Played a really good brand of football coming away from home. We didn't just set up. They dig in. I thought we were very expansive. and On another night, could have had a couple of goals, a couple of blocks and that. But delighted to pick up a point. Um, but what a game. It was a cracking game and two good teams going toe to toe. It's it's refreshing to see. Yeah, no manager wants to settle for a point, you know. I presume that the word was go for it in the second half. Absolutely. We felt that we left uh, a wee bit behind the first half. I thought we started the second half really positively. We've really good attacking players in the club and uh, and we we feel later on in games that we can really go and hurt teams when they're tired and um, we did that tonight again. We were very good on uh, in possession of the ball. James Clark was magnificent. Um, white players changed, and, and Aggie has a great chance at the end. But they they've just had the bar as well just before that. So all in all, we'll take a point. We'll move on. We have to play them at home again, but we, we, we'll take the point and move on. Well done again. Thank you. All right. So that is Declan Devine, Bohemians manager, and before that, John Daly of St Pat's. But um, we'll we'll talk about James Clark a little bit uh, later on because. Uh, his post-match interview as well. He was really good for Bowes. But um, Graham, as I said, you were uh, you were there on punditry duty, and you were treated to what was actually for a nil nil all draw. A pretty you know a pretty pulsating game in terms of how how it was played. And I guess the the, the battle between the inform uh, Afalabi for Bowes up front, and then the returning Joe Redmond, and then Jay McGrath. It was kind of a fascinating one. Afalabi and McGrath seemed to be the ones in more contact, at least in the first half. Yeah, I actually felt he dropped off him probably a little bit too much. Uh, every time it looked like there was going to be a threat, the two lads dropped McGrath and Redmond and, and Afalabi caused them trouble by just turning and then playing in the likes of Grant and Connolly. I think that's where the chances came from the first half because they never really followed him in and made contact with him. They disengaged from quite early. Uh, and the second half, he probably got a little bit tighter to him, but then that freed up James Clark then because Clark came into the game. But um, yeah, like uh, before the game, <laughs> I thought it'd be a high score and draw. I said it'd be two all or something because in the history of the fixture, there's just been goals, and I think that the last time there was only one, it was a one nil, uh, probably four years ago or something. So I was like, there's going to be goals here. This week going to be a great game. Now it was a great game. It just had hadn't got the goals to match up to it. But there was interesting battles all over the pitch. I thought Morphy going up against Jane Clark was brilliant. Uh, Morphy, who obviously you, you read has interest coming in from from Bristol, Bristol uh, City, yeah, Bristol City this 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 morning, 
But he played as a six, which he's never really played as before. But he, he was he was he done really really well. Um, it was an interesting game. The start of the second half was all bows and they were coming. And then John Daly makes a really brave substitution. He puts on Mason Mealy, he puts on Lonigan, he drops Carty back into the 10, and Forrester drops deeper and plays a little bit beside Murphy. And that gave them, it gave Forrester a bit more control of the game where he could put, move the ball around a bit better. But it also just caused chaos when the likes of Mason Mealy coming on, uh, Lonigan on, um, I think the, the lad Nolan came on that he signed from UCD, and it just brought them a bit of energy. And uh like I said, he finished with, I think, Mason Mina was on the pitch, Cortis was on the pitch, Morphy was on the pitch, and so was uh, Lonigan. They're all eight, they're all eighteen and under, which is and Cortis, sorry, which is which is brilliant from Pat's point of view. And you consider they're still trying to stay in the title race and playing all these young players. It was great, um, really good game. But then Bowes should nick at the end with a header. McIntyre, like they will tell you better, but. I'm looking at it thinking he doesn't need to actually generate much power on this. He just needs to guide this header. But I think he's gone for the big, powerful header into the roof of the net instead of maybe just heading it back where it came from and heading it and cushioning it down. But that was a great chance for them. But it was a pulsating game, like a sellout stadium, and it was a fantastic atmosphere. Really good advertising for the game, especially this, I thought the second half came alive where both teams really went for it. Yeah, David, just on that Akintunde chance uh, towards the end, obviously he hits the crossbar, but um, I think, as the, as was said on the commentary, probably should have scored from where he was. Yeah, definitely. He's probably been starved of chances at, at Bohemians. And um, he came on, I thought he actually did really well. He was a live wire. He was, you could see his his hunger to make an impact in the game. And um, and what you want in that scenario, I've been in that scenario a lot, a lot is you want a chance to score. And it came a brilliant ball. It was actually both centre half, I think, who ended up. I don't know how he ended up a right wing swings in a really good cross. I think Afalabi, it's maybe Redmond goes to try and challenge for it. The boat misses. Maybe that slightly puts Akatunde off that he thinks, um, you know, they're going to maybe make contact with it, so he has to react quite quickly. But yeah, it is as as Graham said, he just needs to guide it on target, um, and instead he's kind of powered it and bounced off the top of the crossbar. So. It was a great chance to win it, and unlucky for him, as I said, he's, he's trying to make an impact off the bench after after not playing it for long periods. Um, so disappointed from that he couldn't nick the goal, but it was a pulsating game, and um, I actually was watching uh, the Dundalk match, and I switched over at about sixty minutes, and the atmosphere was electric, and it kind of drew me in, and I ended up just sticking with that game and, and watched the last half an hour, and it was end to end, and I was impressed with Bohemians. I thought they 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 got on top of the game, and possession wise, were stronger. I think. Even keep Buckley playing it right back. You could see him just where the camera was. You could see him dictating the play, talking to his players, really managing the game really, really well. And um, that kind of that, that voice and that leader in their team kind of was a platform for them building up from the back. And um, we'll speak about James Clark, but he was very impressive as well. And I thought Bowes looked really, really good. Obviously, Pats did have opportunities to score, but generally I thought Bowes in that period looked, looked excellent. Yeah, and just before we touch on James Clark, so obviously Noah Lewis has left Pats by mutual consent. But as you mentioned, Graham, um, Adam Murphy is the one I think that's more in the spotlight in terms of a potential move to Bristol City. Of course, it's where uh, Jason Knight is, and uh, also Curtis Fleming is on is on the staff there. And what you know, what are the characteristics that are drawing the likes of Bristol City to a player like Murphy? I think he's, I think he's willing to run. I think he's able to run. You can go box to box. I think when championship teams come in looking at players, you have to realise these lads have to play Saturday, Tuesday, 40, 42 to 46 games, FA Cup games, League Cup games on top of it. 
it's a lot of fixtures. So is he able to run? Yeah. Is he willing to run? Yeah. You know, he technically he's very, very good. He can glide, glides around the pitch. Um, I thought he ran himself into the ground the other day. A, a little bit too much running at times where he got tired. I think the likes of Levy and Forrester maybe should have just sat in there with him a couple of times, especially when Clark starts getting involved in the game. But um, he's willing to take the ball. Like you said, he's willing to drive his team forward. His attitude is fantastic. I was talking to John Daly before him, before the game. He loves walking with him, takes on information really well. Um, and it's just his willingness to, to want to play all the time. And um, physically, he looks great. He's in great nick. Like we were, we were, myself and Stewie Bourne were admired the, the size of his, his legs and how physically fit he looks. Um, we were joking that Paul Dolan would be impressed with the quads he had because Paul would have been big on doing your leg weights and stuff. So, um, but he he looked solid for an eighteen-year-old and somebody I I remember seeing him at Belvedere when he was younger. And now Paul Cardi touched on it and he just bounces around the football pitch and it looks effortless for him when he when he wants to run around. So that sort of glide that he has just attracts people people's eye that realise he could he can do this effortlessly. Um. And yeah, I, I I don't underestimate his technical ability. I think he can play as well. I think he's a good understanding of the game. And it's only going to get better. But like you said, Pats have put him in this year. I know there was a lot of interest in him last year when he first came in and then he got injured. This year he's played a lot more games. He's been played in different positions. I think the goal in Europe shows you what he's capable of as well. And that's just attracts interest then. And uh, it's no coincidence that you see a championship club come in from because I think um, he'd be able to play over there, no problem. Yeah, but uh, player of the match, though, it was Bohemians and James Clark. Let's listen to him first before we uh, talk about his performance in the game. James, how did you find that? Um, yeah, it was a tough game. It was I thought it was really end down, especially that second half. We had chances, they had chances. I think we're a bit, probably a bit disappointed coming out of it because I thought we probably had the better chances and we felt like we could have won it, but... At the end of the day, there's still nine games left and uh, hopefully we can build on that performance and put a run together. You and your team did absolutely everything in the second half to try to get the ball in the back net, but it just didn't click for you today. Yeah, no, it was definitely frustrating. Even at the end, Aki had the header and then there was a few near misses and I was frustrating. Like, but I thought second half we were really good. We were on top of the game and hopefully if we keep that up and build into that next week and the following weeks, we'll, we'll have a good end to the year. Yeah, you go again next week to Derry City, but you're still in the race. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Um, we just kind of have to take a game as a time. I know it's a cliche and all, but that's how we have to have to see it. And hopefully, if we start, like as I said, building the wins together, we'll, we'll finish in a good position. Well done again. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right, so that's Bohemians as James Clark there. And uh, Graham, he was brilliant uh, throughout the game. There was that one chance where he sort of carved his way through the middle and then um, had that shot that wasn't too far away. But uh, overall, though, a really good performance. Yeah, like I said, I, th- I thought the midfield battle was was interesting because I think we ended up being Murphy and Clark, and and like I said to you, Bowles played a two and a one, and Pat's played a one and a two, which left Murphy sometimes one v one with Clark, and Murphy still trying to screen into the, the ball into Afalabi, and then Clark just decides just to peel off either shoulder and, and then just go. He's deceptive, James, because I would have seen him play as a kid, like he. Without the ball, he wouldn't be the quickest, but he travels really well with the ball, and he he's, he's very deceptive, and he uses people's he uses the option to pass really well. That, that and then he dribbles, so he he'll open out like he's going to play a side for pass, and then he drags it and he's away, and he and he's very hard then to shake shake off the ball because like you said, he puts his body in, he's got a big set of shoulders on him now, so he's able to step across people, and he he really 
dragged the game. He really took the game to Pats in the second half. And I, I know he gets man of the match, but he was excellent. And anything that was good went through him in the second half. I thought I thought he was really, really good. And like I said to you, really good ball carrier and willing to get at people. But um, yeah, it was an interesting battle and he's done really well because Ali Coote started the season really well and Clark has stuck with it and forced himself into the team. I think... Declan Devine likes him because he, he's willing to just get beside Afalabi and plays off him. I think he connects with him really well. He, he's never really too far away from him. He's always within 10, 20, 30 yards of, of, of maybe closer when, when Afalabi has it. So he always has support. I think sometimes Cute can drift into wide areas and then Afalabi can lack support at times. But Clark is willing to get around him and he's willing to play through balls too. Yeah, now Pats and Bowes, neither were able to take advantage in terms of closing the gap uh, to Shamrock Rovers, but that was partially also uh, helped, but it was helped anyway from uh, from the title race point of view by Gavin Malloy's stoppage time header for Shelburne, which denied Shamrock Rovers all three points. And he had forced a corner with another header just before for that specific uh, set piece uh, that went in. Um, but uh, I suppose, David, from the Shell's point of view, great resilience for them, but also from Shamrock Rovers' point of view, while you know they again it's another point picked up they're still sort of they're still laboring a little bit yeah the times are for one nil lead i suppose i think you know shamrock Rovers are certainly in the first half that the better of the teams um you know dominated the game and and yes i scored that opening goal as said by poom probably a mistake really by Connor Kearns from from a corner but it was interesting watch some of the highlights back you know where hovers good chances came from short corners where shells only sent one player out and whether Rovers picked up on that and decided, listen, short corners, 2v1s, you know, we can make something of this. And they had a chance early in the game um, from a corner. And then a second one, another short corner, gives Dylan Watts a bit of time and space to put a cross in. And he's not really closed down. He's not under any pressure and mistake by Cairns and, and finished at the back post by Poon. But as I said, 1-0 is a, a dangerous lead to have at times. And um, Shell's punished Rovers for that in the second half. And... Uh, you know, I think we're always generally be disappointed with the way the, the goal conceded. You know, it's a header from within the six yard box from Malloy. He's maybe two or three yards out. Um, looking at the defending from it, you know, he's lost his man. I, I'm not sure who was picking up Gary O'Neill. Dan Cleary were closest to him, and they obviously felt maybe Manus would come. You know, two yards out of the goal, but he kind of gets pinned, and um, you know, give Malloy credit, he goes and attacks it and, and buries it into the back of the net in the last kick of the game, and it's it's a good result for Shells on on the back of probably. Not a brilliant performance, but um, yeah, Rovers kind of stuttering form continues a little bit. And look, I've said all along, they're still clear, still expect them to go on and kick on and win the league, but it just doesn't look all rosy at the moment for them. Yeah, it's still a four-point gap uh, as it stands, Graham. But as uh, David said, not quite clicking into gear for them exactly. Although, you know, the likes of Neil Farouja have been missing during this uh, this run of form, and also um, Jack Byrne hasn't. Uh, returned yet now um Gaffney did come back but it probably needs another week or two maybe to kind of get back into you know get back get some momentum back ah yeah I think like you said once Gaffney get Gaff, I, I always think Gaffney's the catalyst for them like you know I think he carries them up the pitch he, he holds the ball up he allows people he allows support to come the league form is all right it, it's when you cup in the fact that they've the, the European stuff and then throw in the fact that they're out of the FA Cup We've won, I think they've drawn this one and won the previous two games before that. So it's just in between. They probably haven't um, set the header alight or, or been as emphatic as they normally are, but they're still on top of the league. And so it's a hard one to judge because you're like, look, 
that they're obviously not in good form, but they've they've won one and drawn away at Shells, which has always been a tough place for them to go since Damien Duff has taken charge. Um, and, and it's a tough place for anyone to go, considering that Shells don't give up many goals. I think the fact that they made so many chances in the first half, they'd probably be disappointed they didn't put more away and kill the game. Because if you go to, like you said, Shells don't concede many, but they don't score many. So, um, But listening back and obviously watching the highlights back, Damien Duff probably feels that he deserved a point in the second half from pressure alone and the fact that he, he made a tactical change at half-time gets them back in the game and gives them a bit of momentum. Stephen's obviously thinking the game should have been out of sight after half-time, uh, you know, considering the chances they had in the first half. So, But from Rovers' point of view, they're not going to panic. They're, they're, you know what I mean? They're, they've been here before. They're the most mature squad in the league in terms of lads. I think their average age is 28 when you look at it. Uh, so they won't panic. Um, you know, there's, there's tough games coming up, Dundalk as well, but they also know they've been the course and they know basically that certain things are going to happen between now and the end of the season, but they're sitting on top and I agree with David. Like, I can't see I can't see a change in be- between now and the end of the year. I think they'll do enough to make sure they win the league. Yeah, and meanwhile, Dundalk got the better of Sligo, David, and uh, obviously there'll be a lot of focus on Daryl Horgan in terms of performances. Uh, be interesting to know what you think of uh, his couple of performances so far since he's come back, and obviously he had a little role in the goal as well with the the pass that opened up the play, and then before it went out wide, and then the cross went in. Yeah, he's um, he's kind of featured more as a as a ten in the in the two games he's he's been involved in, and. Um... Yeah, I think it'll take him time. He's obviously not, probably not played a lot of football in a, in, a, in a good space of time since since he's left the UK and uh, returned back. So, um, you know, he'll have time to bet in there and, and make an impact. But the interesting point is he's probably played yeah, as a number 10 rather than a left winger, which we saw um, in Dundalk before he left where he was so effective. But with Ryan O'Kane and, and Dan Kelly on either side, uh, O'Donnell obviously feels he, he can make most of them by playing them centrally and... Um, that that often happens, I suppose, as as players get older as well. He's probably not as quite as quick as he as he was, so he he make use of his his um, experience and um you know as, if I was a striker playing behind him, I think I'd be pretty happy because he's a good eye for a pass and um opens up the game well and you know the game was an interesting one. It's like I really should have taken the lead moments before Dundalk do. It's it's I would say two bad misses within the space of a second. Um, I think it was Branafak with a head of chance. Misses it totally, and then at the back post, new striker for Sligo. You know he's got to finish it. Misses Dundalk uh, up the other end within ninety seconds and, and open the score. And brilliant ball again, Archie Davis from right back, which he's been been doing consistently all year. Deliveries have been absolutely outstanding, and um, he puts it in back post. Dan Kelly rises highest and, and buries the header home. Um, not too dissimilar, probably from McIntyre's chance that we spoke about earlier. And, yeah, it just shows how quickly a game, the momentum of a, of a game can change. It miss at one end and, and the dog take the lead at the, at the other and probably not a huge amount of chances in the game. Um, not the most exciting game to watch, but the dog did enough and they're in the position now where they need to eke out some wins to, to try and put pressure on Pats on, on, on bows ahead of them and, and try and fight for that European spot. 
Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, what did you make of Pedro Martello so far for um for Sligo? Because of course he's got he has to shoulder a massive burden in the uh, you know since Max Mata left, um, and then that's also not to mention there was a penalty shout later on towards the end when uh, Levac went down in the box, but uh, nothing was given. But for Sligo, goals have been an issue, and uh, there will be pressure on the the new striker. Yeah, he looked he looked a handful to be fair to him, but obviously the the, the miss was the standout moment, but. He did cause some problems, and I think I'd be, if I was John Russell, I'd be confident enough he'd have a good impact. Um, he did cause a bit of bother in the game, and uh, Radosiewicz on the left hand side also looked quite sharp. Um, he's obviously scored a couple of wonder goals this season, but he looks he looked lively. Um, there's no doubt it was a penalty, albeit, you know, I, I had to watch it probably two or three times to just be sure that Elikoko didn't actually get a touch on the ball, but, you know, it's clear he didn't. Um, if I was, what's what actually surprised me is Levac doesn't make a huge reaction about it. You know, like if it was me, I'd be screaming and appealing, and he kind of goes down and jumps up and, and plays on. And I, so I, when I watched the back, I thought, oh, Eli Coco must have got a touch on the ball. There must have been something, but um, clearly didn't. So just surprised by by Levac's own reaction that he wasn't screaming more for the penalty. But yeah, it was a dis- it was a bad decision, no doubt about it. But. You know, not one I would, uh, you know, go after the referee for because it was a, a tight enough call. And um, but disappointing for Saigo that they didn't get it. They kind of need that to, to start picking up points and just pull away from from Cork and draw it below them. Yeah, and just a, a word on David Cawley, Um, just in terms of you know, obviously he had his testimonial. Then I think it was on the on the Saturday and. You know, the, the amount of games he's played for Sligo was unbelievable in that time as well. I think he played with them in 2013, am I right? Um, so just uh, just a word on him. Yeah, he's been a, a big servant for Sligo. Um, my brother went up and, and was part of the, the testimonial. I know they had a good time. Mark Quigley, Paul O'Connor, lots of lads up enjoying the, enjoying the weekend, Danny North. So, um, yeah, brilliant for Dave. He, he's obviously, had a, I think he moved to the UK and back to Sligo, but he's been there a long time and been an ever-present, um, a very, very probably underrated player, you know, real good technical ability um, and still going strong, you know, still a part of, of what Sligo are doing and, um, a good a good uh, weekend for him and and Monday as well deserved. Yeah, and then the other game uh, on Friday, uh, Graham was of course the one all draw between Cork City and UCD, and Cork City took the lead but got pegged back then. And it's you know with with what they have to do to close the gap on the clubs above them. So five points behind Roddy United, six behind Sligo Rovers. It's a real missed opportunity for them. Yeah, I think the home games, especially against like no disrespect to UCD. I listened to Andy Moyla speaking during the week. He says, like, look, all the pressure's on the teams that are playing against UCD because people automatically expect them to get a result. So uh, there would have been a lot of pressure on Cork to win that game. The 1-0 up. Um, Bagari had scored early. Uh, well, Bagari had scored for them. But then, obviously, they don't see out the game. Kinsley gets an equaliser for UCD. But I think Cork would be disappointed, especially in Torrance Cross, that they haven't won, won the game. I think the impact on not having Keating has been massive for them since they've lost him through the tragic uh, passing away of his father um, has impacted the team and uh, and obviously impacted him a lot more. Um, and again, like I think they really, really miss him because he, he I thought he was excellent for them. I've seen him play for Galway against Shamrock Rovers in the FAI Cup a couple of seasons ago. We cracked one off the post and I thought he was a real live wire. He was excellent and you'd miss him any team would miss him, but someone like Cork, who haven't probably got the the squad depth 
you know, they I think they really, really miss him and he's been the catalyst for everything that they've done well this season. And like obviously he's gonna take as much time as he needs here, but I think he's the one that the focal point and everything that they do well goes through him. So all the chances and half chances that they're getting, he'd be the one that's putting them away and killing games off. And I I think they really miss that. And um like I said to you, they'd be disappointed that they don't go on because you, you, you knew they were going to up to Derry on the Sunday. So do you know if they win that, they can go a bit closer to them and try and drag themselves out of that playoff spot. Um, but they've Waterford in the Cup. They've Waterford in the Cup this weekend, so that'd be a good test to see where they'd be going into the playoffs next year if that's where, the, if that's where they have to stay in the division. Yeah, yeah, and Keating, um, he did come on as a sub um, against UCD later on, so I think he is working his way back. But in terms of the, you know, the managerial situation as well, um, Graham, I mean, Kevin Doherty, the previous week had confirmed that he'd turned them down to stay at Drawdy United, and it kind of leaves Cork still sort of searching for what's next. Yeah, again, it, it adds to the uncertainty of it. Um, I know Buckley come in and originally he done really well, just steadying the ship and, and and making sure. And they became competitive for a while. They got some good wins on to Rovers as well, and the Rovers the players sent off, but they they, they beat them. They had a report. They done really well against them. Um, yeah, to be to go after a manager and then be publicly knocked back, it's a tough one, and especially at this time of the season with nine games to go. You'd, you'd like to think that you can get somebody in place that can have a look at the squad and help them build for next season. But they're in that position where you don't know where they're going to be next season neither. So how did you go and get a manager that wants to work there and, and the right man for the job to help build again? Um, it's a tough one for them. I, I like Fair play to Kevin Doherty because I know he's wanted to go full-time as a coach, but he hasn't just jumped at the first chance he's got um, to go back full-time. Um, he's going to wait and see but Cork need to try and get somebody in charge to see what they're going to do next year in terms of their squad and who they want and where they're building from and the new owner needs to see well look at what I'm working with what budget he can give his manager whether it's a first division budget or, or a premier division budget Yeah and speaking of the first division Treaty United one one nil up at Finn Harps, Waterford and Galway United drew two all. Wexford saw off Kerry three two, and then it was a three all draw between uh, Cove uh, Ramblers and Bray Wanderers. And then on the Saturday, in the Midlands Derby at Lone were three two winners at Longford Town. Before we touch on that game first, uh, David, just in terms of the 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 game towards the top, so Waterford Galway United obviously a draw. Uh, pretty much, I think if there were any hopes of uh, Waterford closing that gap, I think that's pretty much done and dusted now. It seems like a uh, Galway United's coronation towards promotion uh, looks fairly settled at this point. Yeah, I think it was probably settled before the game, but yeah, it um, you could see the wild celebrations at the end from from a Galway perspective, and um, it was funny. I was kind of watching them. What are they celebrating? They're so far ahead that. Uh, it probably didn't matter much, but now it's probably important for them to, that, you know, they feel they're, they're top dogs at the moment. They don't want to lose a game even. And uh, you could see the emotion both from the players and from, from the bench, from John Caulfield's reaction to, to the late goal and the late equaliser. And um, yeah, it was, look, they, they keep ticking along and look, there's no doubt they'll be back in the Premier and it's been a brilliant job from, from Ali Orban and, and, and John Caulfield to get them there. And now, you know, I spoke to them in, in pre-season. I know how desperate they were to succeed this year and get the club back up. And they've done a phenomenal job. That they, they just rolled through results. And it does remind me of Cork and uh, under John where they just kept winning and kept winning. You know, they, at times it's not pretty. Um, you know, the style of football is, is direct, but it's 
it really causes problems. And even the late goal, <laughs> it was very John Caulfield, get it into the box, cause havoc, and um, and you'll get chances from it, and, and they stick it away. And as I said, well celebration. So yeah, it certainly looks like they're they're well on their way. And Waterford, I'm sure they would have liked to have won the game. And and the key for them is to try and keep the good form up. You spoke about probably being Cork that they, they might face in the playoff, but um, yeah, they've got to keep their good form up. And 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 you know, spoke about that FAI Cup game if they can have a good run in that as well to keep themselves competitive because obviously they're so isolated even in second place. So they've got to keep their their own momentum going so that they're ready when when those playoffs come around. Yeah. So you nearly signed you nearly signed for them, did you, Dave? Is that what you're telling us? Nearly signed for Galway. That's exclusive. <laughs> spoke to both clubs ironically, but uh, I think I think both are better off. I mean, Ronan Coughlin grabbed another two goals. I, don't, I think that's thirty one for the season. Phenomenal return from him. Um, you know, he's he's. He, I'm sure he'll have uh, plenty of suitors looking at him as well. So Waterford will be keen to try and to keep him there. He's been. Uh, I think it's it's 20, 31 goals in twenty three games or something like that, and um, doesn't matter what level you're playing at, first or Premier, that's that's an unbelievable turn. I think it's a record for the first division number of goals scored. So, um, yeah, he just keeps rolling on, and he could be the difference for Waterford at the end of the season. Yeah, because in that playoff push, of course, Athlone have uh, put themselves in that conversation. As uh, mentioned there, they won the Midlands Derby 3-2 against Longford Town. France Piero scoring a brace. And um, Graham, looking at the kind of swing there in terms of teams that are involved. So Athlone putting themselves in the conversation in fourth place. Cove Ramblers still in there. Wexford in fifth. And uh, then you've got Bray Wanderers trying to push as close. Longford Town a little bit further back. But it's just interesting the swing, I suppose, in um, you know in supremacy between Athlone and Longford Town this season, given how previous campaigns have gone and the gap between those clubs. Yeah. And in fairness, the Wexford were 2 0 down against Kerry and come back and win 3 2 as well to make sure that they, they stay in fifth um, ahead of Bray. But there's some amount of goals in the fourth division, like a two all draw, 3 3, Cove and Bray, 3 2, Wexford, Kerry, Finn Harp Street, you only have one, and then Longford and Athlone have, have five goals as well. Like So they're all just going for it by the looks of it. Not many defenders there. Probably get a call back myself at this stage. Um, but yeah, that the the long for that long game, like looks looks unbelievable, and the goal to win it, Hero's winning goal is unbelievable. His touch is fantastic. But I love the fact that he just stays up. The boys hanging out and the, the defenders dragging out and pushing at him, and he just stays up, stays strong, and he's the composure with the finish is unbelievable. But yeah, it's not nice. Probably I played in a couple of Athlone Longford games, and um, I played in the old Mel Park before Athlone moved. That goes back a while, but it was a yeah, it was a brilliant. It was an FA Cup replay, and there are always big games down there. A fantastic atmosphere, and it means a lot to the people in the Midlands. So, um, obviously, it would have meant a lot to Athlone to go to Longford and win three two. But the winning goal, uh, fit enough to win any game of football, really. So, um. Brilliant from him. Great yeah. goal. Yeah, now turn our attentions to what's happening on the other side of the IRC, so in the Premier League, Championship, etc. But first, um, just wanted to touch on Will Smallbone, David. And, uh, you know, he's been starting for Southampton. He's obviously had uh, his loan spell last season with Stoke and they were involved in a four-all draw against Norwich City. Quite a few Irish players um, on both sides that were involved. So it was interesting from that point of view. But Smallbone has been the subject of interest from Sheffield United. And uh, for... it. If it if it were to happen, it would be in and around the seven million mark. But Sheffield United looked like a club that are in a little bit of turmoil, and you would there's a 
possible we don't know you know it's a long season to come but that they would be among the favorites to go straight back down Southampton would be one of the clubs tipped to be involved at least playoffs or maybe even you know automatic promotion from the championship if you were Will Smallbone what do you what would you be advising him to do at this stage would it be to stick it out in the championship get a full season or take his chance in the in the Premier League if a move were to happen yeah that's a really tough tough decision you know you probably immediately say go play in the in the higher league but if you're settled and you're happy and, and you you have the, the the confidence of the manager and he's picking you um particularly if you have aspirations as well to be playing for Ireland all the time you know it helps that you, you're getting 90 minutes every week so um look I'm sure there'll be financial ends of it as well that, that come into play for him and and you know if there's if there's big money on offer if it's a seven million pound bid then I'm sure wages will be good as well off the back of that. So it's not an easy decision. As you said, Sheffield United look like they, they might struggle this year, but again, you just never know. So uh, it's it's not an easy decision. And it, it like he could be in the position where Southampton really don't want him to go. They say, look, we can't turn it down, but we, we, do, we actually want you to stay put. Or it might be vice versa. Look, this is great money for our club and you, know, you need to take it kind of thing. So there'll be a lot of factors at play from his own perspective. I think he's just got to decide where he'd be happiest and um you know if 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 the money isn't massive, I think, you know, being at Southampton and having the confidence in the manager and playing every week would be the more important thing, I would think, at this stage of his career. Um but yeah, not an easy decision to make. Yeah, and then Troy Parrott, of course. Uh, there hasn't been, you know, Graham, there hasn't been much mentioned at all in terms of a move for him, in terms of like, the expectation is he's going to go on loan, I'm sure, from from Spurs somewhere, probably more likely the championship. But uh, again, like he's somebody who definitely needs games to just keep himself in that picture because the the forward line for Ireland, it gets more and more competitive. And obviously we'll talk about Evan Ferguson later on. He's the, you know, he's the standout. But, you know, there's other there's other players um getting much more game time. And for Troy at this age, age that he is uh, I'd imagine you know it's key for him to to land somewhere rather than this you know this thing of always being out on loan and maybe not having that much career stability yeah exactly yeah I think that that's the thing go and play as much games you can at a young age and gain that experience and see what level you land Um, at his age it's it's massively important uh, like you know uh, and Posh Coglu goes in as spores he probably doesn't get hasn't had much of a look with him he's had a He's been in early, in fairness to him, but it's making a decision about whether what teams want him on loan and what teams best for his development and all that stuff that comes into it. You can't just jump at the first one, but it's making that right decision to see who I'm going loan to. And you're right with the likes of like you're playing to play, basically see who you can, can you play beside Ferguson at the moment because Evans on that um good of form and he's flying so so much that you're basically looking to see what position he can fill in beside him. And the likes of Connolly's doing well at Hull, he's scored again at the weekend. There's other strikers that are coming. Um Bene's gone to Luton as well, but he can play in multiple positions. So yeah, it's really important that Troy just goes out and gets game time and, and, and makes an impact in that game time. He has to start scoring more goals and impacting the games more when he does do that. But Picking the right one to go to, he's been on loan to a lot of clubs and hasn't really probably made that big an impact in, in, in any of them he's went to. So his next move is important that he picks the right club that allows him to shine a little bit, and yeah. hopefully he can do that. Yeah, and in terms you mentioned a number of players there. There were quite a few Irish goals um, from obviously uh, Armstrong, uh, Sinclair Armstrong as well scored a, a, yeah. scored an assist. You know, 
Yeah, there was Evan Ferguson, of course, in the Premier League. Uh, that Brighton-Luton game was kind of interesting from that point. He came on as a sub, uh, hit the post with a brilliant shot and then, um, you know, follow the uh, a few minutes later, follows a, a run and, uh, you know, and converts from, from close range and he's up and running now. Aaron Connolly got off the mark for Hull City against Sheffield Wednesday. Will Keane scored again for Preston against Sunderland. Sammy Smodzich as well, who, is, of course, is Irish qualified, hasn't been capped yet. A couple of goals for Blackburn. Black Burn Rovers against Rotherham and then as you mentioned Sinclair Armstrong um, for QPR against Cardiff we'll talk a little bit about him later on but obviously I think the obvious person to talk about is Evan Ferguson um, Micah Richards on match of the day said uh, everything about him I love Alan Shearer basically just mirrored it by just saying I love everything about him so they might need a thesaurus between them and try and <laughs> find other words to use but um, David I mean you know, the there's always this thing about like second season syndrome and, you know, with young players as well. How do they build, you know, when they when they star one season and then follow it on? But Evan Ferguson, you know, first game of the season comes on as a sub um, and as I said, nearly scores from a, a brilliant shot, good bit of confidence and then goes and gets off the mark. And every I think um, Graham would have mentioned the terms KPIs in terms he was hitting his markers uh, towards the end of last season and it's clear that process is just con- continuing on. Yeah, it's funny. I think you played 12 minutes and it's uh, the reaction has been uh, amazing. <laughs> like he's had so many plaudits for, for a 12-minute cameo. What, what could he do if he played 90? Um, no, he was very bright. The chance he created off his own bat, the, the turn and shot um, off the post was just a brilliant bit of skill, a real... I mean, we watched a little bit of... Uh, of Haaland uh, during the halftime of the League of Ireland games and his finish kind of instinct finish was just out of this world like you think it's one of a kind and but um, I certainly won't compare Ferguson with Haaland but uh, to, to see him just kind of make that chance off his own bat was, was brilliant because the goal itself is kind of what we've seen from him you know get on the end of things really attack the box well find space in the box have that kind of instinct that you know where the ball's going to fall and, and be in the right place at the right time and um, you know the goal showed all of that, but the the kind of the turn, the shot, and um, making something kind of off his own back, and um, probably not seeing as much of that from him, and, and and I think that's what kind of caught the eye as much as the goal. So, listen, you don't want to build him up too much. As I said, it's it's unbelievable to think he's only eighteen years of age, the size of him, the strength of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's talk already about you know what money he'll draw it in, um, if he continues the way he's going, but. Look, it's a big season for him, I think, to have a full season now where there's a little bit of expectation on him. People know his name. People expect him now to go and score goals. And I think he's in the right place at the moment. And, you know, Brighton, our team, that despite selling players, they still look very, very strong. They have a manager who seems to be um, highly rated and, and doing an amazing job. So it'd be great to see how the season progresses for him. And hopefully he can continue with 20 showed in 12 minutes over the course of, of 37 more games. Yeah, and what was interesting, Graham, was uh, Deserby has been managing his game time um, in a way, kind of restricting it. And um, obviously, he is still is still eighteen, but in preseason, he didn't didn't overuse him. And uh, um, at the same time, then he uh, you know he he plays him for twelve minutes here, but of course. Brighton have a host of uh, fixtures to be involved in. Of course, they're in uh, they're in Europe as well, so he will get plenty. He will get plenty of minutes, but it's just a question of managing it as well. Yeah, I think I think he's in good hands at, at the club that he's in. I think he's in I think he's in good hands with the management he's with. You know, not to overexert him. You know, not to maybe overuse him and and result in injuries for young players because of the level that they're playing at and the the volume of games that he's playing with as well. So. 
I think it's I think they're managing them really well. I agree with Dave. I, I, I the Hungary shows to score goals is amazing. Um, it's what you want to see from your striker. It's what you want to see from any any top centre forward is that desire and hunger to get in between the posts and score goals. His link up play around the box is brilliant. At one stage, I've, I've seen him. He's rolling his foot over the ball and playing a, a side through ball down the side, and then he's making the box again. So he, his confidence is really high. And like again, I spoke to Barry recently, and he's he's taken it all and he's tried from what I know. And it's just one of those where he's he's just continuing to work hard, and all the outside noise can go on around him, and he's just making sure he's right and um, for game time and. And he trains really well, and he's a, he's a, he's going to be a really top professional. Uh, he's already started on that road, but um, like you said, that desire and that hunger to score goals and that awareness to know where the space is to score goals is fantastic. When you have someone like Alan Shearer, who is, looks like he's going to hold on to the Premier League scoring record for another while, yeah. <laughs> I think he was, he was delighted trying to push Harry Kane out the door. <laughs> and he's praising you. You know, I think I think you know. You have a good chance in the game of someone, and and in fairness, I know Gary Lineker is the is the presenter, but he knew how to score goals from five yards out as well. So I think uh, you're getting praise from a lot of good people there. I mean, the likes of Dave McMillan joins in on it as well. You know, you're onto a good one. Yeah, and uh, I was going to ask you about Sinclair Armstrong as well, Graham. So of course he, he would have been he would have come through at Shamrock Rovers. He's obviously been capped at underage level for Ireland up to I think the twenty ones was the most recent one, and uh, he's at QPR. Scored at the weekend uh, against Cardiff. Had a couple of loan spells in the twenty twenty one twenty two season with Torquay and Aldershot. Got a few opportunities for QPR last season, but he seems to be very much part of the the first team picture. Um, I guess what you remember of him from back in the day before he moved across and um, what potential he might have? Um, Sinclair Sinclair came from us from Cherry Orchard. His younger brother Desmond plays in our 2014 or our under-14 National League side and he scores a lot of goals. His other brother Blessing came in as well. All three of them started at Cherry Orchard. Um, so full credit to them in terms of from a schoolboy point of view. They've done excellent with him. Uh, Sinclair is just infectious. He has an infectious personality. What 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 you don't see is he just loves playing football. Like he he'd be up there in the, in the off season training and doing extra work, constantly around people, constantly chatting, bubbly, loud. Like everybody liked him. Everybody wanted to be around him. But he has a born and desire to be the best footballer he can be. Where he's just constant at it. He played in our second under-15s team. I think we had two under-15s team at the stage. Damien Duff had the first team. And he would have played in the DDSL under-15s team. And I think Shane Robinson would have been very would have been vital in making sure that he, he stayed around because he knew he just had raw abilities. He had a lot of power as a young boy, but didn't probably know how to direct it. And uh, I think that's something he's worked on. And when I tell you, like, you go to how robust and physical the championship can be he's somebody that can handle it because he can run and he's powerful powerful boy when he's up and running and when he's running downhill as they say towards goal he's a hard he's a hard one to stop so um his interview where he's emotional about scoring and he's then he goes back to big smiles because he's just delighted that's him like and you can see qpr and the fans have really bought into him because he just loves playing he loves playing for QPR at the minute, but he just loves playing football and that's infectious and it spreads and everybody just wants to see him do well. And 
uh, we're all delighted for him. Like he's a, he's a great kid. Yeah, and then in the Premier League yesterday, of course, Nathan Collins first competitive start for Brentford in their in their opening game, a two all draw against Spurs. But of course, a lot of the focus, David, would have been on someone we mentioned already, Harry Kane, who would have been chasing the Premier League goal scoring record, but he's obviously gone off to to Bayern Munich for quite a lot of money. And you know, there was a debate I think before in the in the build up, Willie Wonty and the the whole dilemma and what matters to a striker because of course. Um, you know, he hasn't, I think famously hasn't won a trophy and then they, they lost the German Super Cup to RB Leipzig. So he still hasn't won a trophy um, uh, in his career, but you would expect at Bayern, he will he will get that, whether it's the Bundesliga or the Cups or even potentially the Champions League. But the other side of it, he's not, he's still a good few goals off Alan Shearer, but there was, you know, there was a good chance that he might actually hunt that record down. And I don't know, where where would you have stood, at, stood on it in terms of if you were in his shoes, would you have been, pushing to um to move abroad and to a club like Bayern Munich or would you be looking to you know focus more on um trying to you know target a, a record that has stood for quite a number of years it's a really difficult one because um yeah we were I, my brother actually texted me oh, surely Bayern Munich have not been chasing this guy for whatever two months three months and they don't believe he's actually going to move so it was a bit of an unusual one when it came up that the bid was accepted and then it was like well is he actually going to go um, surely that was nailed on that he was going to go, but it was uh, it kind of became a bit unclear. So that was an unusual thing. But I suppose you can have last last minute kind of question marks that happened when Steven Gerrard was going to go to Chelsea and, and never did. And um, I think Kane's situation probably wasn't dissimilar to Gerrard's. That you know you want to win something, but you know this is your boyhood club and and the one you've played for since you were a kid. So. It was interesting. I think I don't know if it was Michael Owen or Rio Ferdinand or somebody said, "Well, look, Alan Shearer won a Premier League, but everybody knows him as the the the, the top scorer in the Premier League. That's kind of what he's known for. So, so you know, maybe winning something isn't such a big deal for Harry Kane. I think he's forty eight goals off Shearer. There's no doubt in my mind he would have broken that the way he continues to to score goals and and assist goals. And um, so then it just came down to I suppose what he felt was more important for him. And I can understand that desire to to have something new and. Um, to move to 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 Bayern and play with you know they have an unbelievable squad there and um but still the chances of them the winning the Champions League doesn't you know they they won't go in this year as as heavy favourites or anything you know there's a chance they'll win it but not in any way guaranteed and and even the Bundesliga I mean in reality they should have lost it last year to Dortmund but certainly they go in every season as heavy favourites and um it's interesting what does he value more if if it's if he comes. You know, back to England in a couple of years with two Bundesliga titles and two German cups, uh, and doesn't get the the Premier League record. You know, which is better? That's that's up for debate. So I think he obviously felt after so many years at Spurs and and after you know what's been an incredible career to date. Let's try something new. Let's let's have a crack at this. Let's go and enjoy something different. And he knows if if he doesn't enjoy it and and um, it doesn't work out, he can always move back to to the UK and and still make an impact. So, um. Yeah, I can understand totally why he took took the took the the, the move on, and um, you know I think he'd be a big success. The player that he's been, it's it's um, yeah, I think he'll suit Bayern. Like they've been, they've been kind of struggling last year. They chip a mounting uh, playing for the most times up front, and um, which is an interesting one. So for Kane to, to go in there, I think as a big player, guaranteed playing every week, and and with an incredible squad, I'm sure he'll enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I see yeah. this year that one like. I think Shearer's goals are enhanced by the fact if if he had scored them goals and hadn't won a Premier League, a lot of people would have said, "Well, 
what these goals weren't worth anything. They didn't get him anything. I think they've got him a Premier League medal. I think I, I don't like when people talk about Shearer's Premier League record. I think it's fantastic, but I also think there's the top division before Alan Shearer, like and these players that just don't get mentioned in it that would be ahead of him. Jimmy Greaves, yeah, Jimmy Greaves is the obvious one, yeah. You know Dick, I mean? Dixie who, Dean or some of those type of names, yeah. Dean Rush, who was prolific in the 80s. You know, all these players that I just disregarded because it wasn't the Premier League era and it wasn't being... And I also think the egotistical thing of... The Premier League is the greatest league in the world at the minute because financially it's extortionate. But it wasn't always the case. It was still called it, but it wasn't always the case. And now you have a player going to Bayern Munich who financially are so well run that they're able to afford 100 million for the player where there's not many clubs around that are doing that because financially they've been struggling you see that in Real Madrid are struggling at times financially Barcelona are struggling now I know Real Madrid had a big outlay on Duke Bellingham I get that but so but they were the ones trying for a super league so that they could financially get higher up to and get earn more money through it but Bayern are a massive massive football club like they, they're they're huge. And for the English sort of press to look down their nose on them and go, why is, that, why is Harry Kane going there? Come on, like, give us a break. Will you? He's playing for Spurs at the moment. They haven't won a trophy in so many years. Where else was he going to go? And then people say, you know, he should have went to Man United. Why are Man United going to win this year as well? With all due respect, they haven't challenged for anything in the last five or six years neither. So have a bit more respect for the, these European clubs. Bayern Munich are a fantastic football club, a really well-run football club. And they're going to challenge. You get to the Champions League, semi-finals, quarter-finals, year in, year out. So I know the record is massive in terms of for the English media, and it's the Premier League record, and Sky can keep using it. But it's not. He's never. He's never getting the overall record. So it's not a big deal to me. Go and play and go and win trophies at European level and and win leagues at Bayern Munich and go and and be a team player and, and get goals that win you something. That's yeah. the most important. Thing. It's important goals. Yeah, I, I think that level of disrespect, I think probably from some people in the uh, the media that cover the Premier League towards the Bundesliga, I think it came up when um, Haaland was making the move from the Bundesliga to the Premier League because yes. he'd scored a lot of goals for Dortmund. But there's this sense of, oh, he won't find it as easy, um, you know, at Man City playing against Premier League defenders. He, in fact, scored far more last season than he than he ever did for Dortmund. So there, yeah. there's that you as know. well. And then they go and take, they take two of the best managers. They take Tuchel and they take Klopp. Yeah. And they're like, look, so if they're that bad, why you why you going constantly over and taking the managers and the players? Like, you know, I just don't. I just I just think they they, they struggle to see outside of their own league at times, and it, and it frustrates me, especially this. Oh, he's a Premier League record holder, and you're like, no, like he's not. You know. Yeah, and uh, I suppose the final point before we go, um, just in terms of the the Chelsea Liverpool game as well, um, Liverpool obviously uh, came away from a, a draw uh, at Stamford Bridge, Graham. But when we look at the the need for a number six, obviously there's the, looks like Caicedo now is making the move from Brighton to Chelsea. There was a there was a time where Liverpool outbid them. And then very quickly, it looked like Chelsea were like, hold hold your horses, that's not happening. So they've got a, <laughs> it looks like they have them. But uh, Liverpool don't seem to fill that position, having lost a couple of players to another league that is take you know spending big money on players. So yeah. Henderson and Fabinho going to Saudi Arabia, and there is a gap in the squad. And I know they were looking at Lavia, who's at Southampton as well, but not even clear that they're gonna they're gonna get him. So I don't know for across a whole season, 
that's a definite area I'm sure that they'll be looking to to bolster yeah. as quickly as possible. And they probably hurt themselves with the Lavia deal because if they're able to bid 110 million to Brighton for Casado, Southampton are going to come with the handout saying, well, you obviously have the money. Uh, what they will say is, well, we're taking one from a Premier Division team that's finished in a high position to a team that was relegated. So that's where the, the, the discrepancy in the, in the transfer fee might come up. But I watched them. I thought Liverpool's goal was really good yesterday. Um, and they had moments in the game where they looked exciting. Um, but there was other times they looked really vulnerable as well. And Chelsea played well and manipulated the system really well, the 3-4-3 against and, and moved them around. Um, like you said, I still don't think they can run as much as they used to. I saw they brought on Curtis Jones, who technically is a wonderful footballer, but probably not able to bring that pace and power that even like a Gini Wijnaldum would have brought to them a couple of years ago. Um, and that Salah, Nunes, Gakpo, like, they need probably to realise that if you're going to play this style of football, there needs to be a high energy to it. Uh, sometimes they didn't have that yesterday, and other times they did, and they, they're playing in fits and starts, but Alisson still has to make saves in 1v1 situations, but they do need to fill that role. I really like McAllister. I, I, I've liked him for a long, long time. I remember doing a game, commenting on him, and didn't realise he was as good until I watched him live. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was excellent in the game really controlling and actually very demanding of his team, which was good. But I don't know. I think they have a long way to go, Liverpool, to get back to challenging. I'm not sure. I'd be interested to see how Man United do against Wolves tonight. But on top of that, you don't want to just... It takes stuff. It takes a long time for the league to settle down and we have to be careful that you're not just making snap judgments off the fact of one game. A draw away at Stamford Bridge in any other year would be a good result. So you just have to be careful what you're, you know... It's going to take six to seven to eight games for the, the, the league to settle down, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, well, uh, I think that brings us uh, to a close for uh, this week. Obviously, we'll have the two uh, FIFA Women's World Cup semi-finals on Tuesday and Wednesday. That's going to be on RT2 and the RT Player. And also, we're going to have the second leg of Derry City's Europa Conference League, third qualifying tie against FC Tobol live on RT2 and the RT Player as well. So 7.45pm kickoff there. It's going to be a Tallis Stadium. But uh, Dave McMillan and Graham Gartland, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Cheers, Ralph.